0: Welcome to Sharp Waves, a podcast from the International League Against Epilepsy. Our episodes cover epilepsy research, clinical care, career development, and issues in diagnosis and treatment from around the globe.
1: Hi, I am Hector Garcia. I am the head of the Center for Global Health of the Universidad Peruana Cayetano Heredia and the head of the Cysticercosis Unit at the National Institute of Neurological Sciences in Lima, Peru. And we are going to talk about neurocysticercosis, uh, which is an important cause of epilepsy and other neurological morbidity worldwide. And I just want to disclaim that whatever I'm going to talk is not personal work. We have a pretty large network of research in Peru that we call the Cysticercosis working group in Peru.
0: So I've read that neurocysticercosis is one of the most common causes of epilepsy worldwide. Is that the case? And can you explain either way, whether it is or is not?
1: First, we have to differentiate uh, epilepsy in children and epilepsy in adults. Right. When you take epilepsy in children... Those are usually epilepsies from genetic origin or hypoxia during delivery. Those comprise most of the epilepsy in children. And then you have another bunch which are temporal sclerosis from febrile seizures etc, uh, etc. Et but in general, it's stuff that comes from the early stages of age. But when you talk about people after age 15, 20, who they, they develop a new epilepsy, there's something happening in that brain, right? So you have a crash, you have a tumor, you have an infection, you have something. And if you take that group of epilepsies, cystic is by far the most frequent cause in the world. Cystic is present in most countries including Muslim countries which are not pure Muslim. Like India. India is a perfect example. India has a Muslim population, but they have lots of cystic because they have a couple of non-Muslim populations. And in Africa, many countries which are mixed with a majority of Muslims, they still have cystic ricosis. So the few meta-analyses that exist, they say that in countries where cystic is present, which is a vast majority of the world, 29% of the epilepsies are attributable to cystic circosis. It's a lot. And it comes from several different studies from different groups. It's very consistent, about 30%. So yes, the answer is yes. If you look at the causes of epilepsy in adults in the world, cystic will be by far the largest cause of epilepsy acquired after... Uh, teenager years. Cysticercosis infection seems to be extremely frequent. If you go to a community where there is transmission, lots of people will have been exposed to cysticercosis. So when we check antibodies specific to cysticercosis, it's not uncommon to find 10, 15, 20% of the village having antibodies to cystic zircosis. And you try to take in account that another bunch of people will have had antibodies and become zero negative after the exposure was passed. So I go to a community, I do a survey with Western blood, which is the best antibody test. And I find 10 or 15% of people with zero positive blood. But then I do CT scan in people in this community. And I find another 10 to 15% of people with calcifications and they don't overlap. So there's a proportion, very large proportion of people with calcifications who are already zero negative. So my unsupported guess is that endemic populations, probably half of the population gets exposed to cystic at some at some point. Some of them will get infected, will develop a cyst in a muscle, in the liver or in the lung or wherever, and the immunity will kill it. So exposure and infection are going to be very common, but a proportion of them will have the cyst in the brain. And then a proportion of them will have symptoms from the cyst in the brain. And then a proportion of those will have symptoms severe enough to make them go to a doctor. That's what we see in the hospitals. It's the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And still, it's a lot of people.
0: Do you have a best guess as to, you know, of the people who become infected, how many of them have seizures as a symptom?
1: Not not really. My best educated guess, it will be less than 10%. But again, there are too many people infected. There are way too many. So eventually that comes out to be a significant proportion of people with seizures attributable to cystic it's Not because it happens all the time, because it's so frequent that the small proportion of them makes a lot of people. And you are uh, skipping one part. There are epilepsies that the patient will not notice, right? How many people will see lights? Or just have a numbness in their right hand and forget it after a few minutes. And so there's a bunch of oligosymptomatic disease that we will be it will be extremely difficult to to quantify. One of your questions was what kind of symptoms you can get. And when I was a very young, good looking young physician, I wanted to be a neurologist. And I went to my neurology professor and say, Doc, I want to be a neurologist. Uh, what should I do? And he told me, you should do your thesis work in cystic because you will learn neurology. The parasite goes everywhere in the brain and will give you symptoms from everywhere in the brain. And basically, that's correct. You may have one cyst in your occipital lobe. You may have 300 cysts everywhere. You may have one cyst in your frontal lobe or you may have one cyst in the brainstem and you will see different disease coming from the different locations of the parasites. And it gets more complicated because it may be small or maybe larger or maybe inflammate or not inflammate, and maybe living or dying or dead and calcified. So it's a very complex matrix that will give you basically almost any neurological symptom. Um, so, when I give the lecture on cysticercosis, I always say you can have basically everything. But in order to simplify things, we can think of cysticercosis as two major boxes: a box where the parasite is embedded in the brain parenchyma, which is called parenchymal cysticercosis, and then the problem is irritation, inflammation, and seizures. And then another box where the parasite is not in the brain parenchyma. And then the problem is it grows and infiltrates and causes mass effects and blocks CSF circulation. Then the problem is not seizures, it's headache, intracranial hypertension, and hydrocephalus. And this type of extraparenchyma cystic cysticercosis had a mortality of 30 to 50% as late as in the 1980s. It was really bad. Now we've managed it much better and mortality has significantly decreased, but we still lose people to uh, extraparenchymal cystic causes even in, in these days.
0: It's improved. So what's brought that about?
1: Well, I will say that initially the availability of antiparasitic agents and then the improvement in surgical techniques. And you have to understand that for cysticercosis up to 1979, there was no drug to kill the parasite. Zero. People used to give steroids, anti-epileptic drugs, um, shunts, surgery to extract large lesions, necropsy. That was it. There was no other thing to do. And then... Uh, somebody in Mexico, who was actually a veterinarian, found out that Prasequantil killed parasites in the pig. So he went to his friend, uh, a neurosurgeon, and told him, I have a drug that kills the parasites in the pig, and the neurosurgeon told him, we have a kid in the hospital, let's give him Prasequantil. So they did, to show you how research has changed in 40 years. They gave the kid praziquantel. the kid improved. They had CT scan at that time. They showed the lesions shrink. And they published a paper that says we have a drug that kills cysticercosis. Everybody began to use the drug and some people died. Because when you treat the parasite with a drug, you attack the parasite. And then the parasite, which is in homeostasis with the, with the immune system, Will release antigens and cause an acute inflammation. And that could kill you or cause a status epilepticus or intracranial hypertension or kill you. And then the Brazilian group very quickly said, This is inflammation, let's give them steroids. And that kind of modulated it, but still. Uh, it ignited controversy that I will say is still not dead. Some people will not use antiparasitic drugs in cystic even now. But I will say the conclusion of the wealth of data now is that in general, patients will do much better if you kill the parasites with antiparasitic drugs than if you don't.
0: So, I'm just thinking about the epilepsy aspect of it, so people who have acquired epilepsy from cysticercosis, it sounds like it could could be anywhere, right? It could cause any type of seizures.
1: absolutely, and it will it will show up as generalized seizures, but we all think those are focal seizures that generalize too fast, because the biology of the parasite doesn't really suggest that it may cause generalized seizures. I saw a patient who had a, a, an anomic epilepsy, anomic epilepsy, so he forgot what was the name of a thing, and then he had a headache. That was his epilepsy
0: So there is no there's no type of seizure that you can say, "Oh, that's neurosis to no, related. it could be definitely
1: not. But if you have somebody who comes from Latin America or Africa and it's just developed epilepsy after age 15, 20, you are highly suspicious.
0: So, what what do you do in those cases? Is it anti seizure medication work or? Registration is now open for the 15th European Epilepsy Congress, held September 7th through 11th in Rome, Italy. Join your colleagues for five days of teaching courses, platform sessions, symposia, career development sessions, and more. To receive a discount on registration fees, register by May 10th. Visit the ILAE website for more information or register directly at bit.ly. Slash ilae Rome. That's b i t dot l y slash i l a e r o m e, all lowercase. Thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, they re- in general they respond very well to anti seizure medication, uh, but that's not curing anything, right? We're just right. just managing the symptom. And what do you do if you don't have a CT scanner? And my answer is always: I don't use antiparasitic drugs because I don't know how many cysts this guy has, and whether he has a cyst in the in the brainstem or a large cyst that will herniate him if I just uh, trigger inflammation with praziquantel. So, current guidelines say you should use neuroimaging to diagnose neurocysticercosis.
0: And then once you do that and you know how many cysts there are, where they are, that would guide your treatment, whether you used antiparasitic drugs.
1: Just to give you an idea, if you do your CT scan or your MRI and you find out that your patient has five calcified parasites, then you don't you don't need to use antiparasitic drugs anymore. Or you find one small cyst, you go very comfortable with antiparasitic drugs, but then your next patient has 300 cysts and you are very, very worried how to get in with antiparasitic drugs. So it's it's, a, it's tailored to the to the patient. But what we do expect is that if all the cysts have died after antiparasitic treatment, the likelihood of no seizure relapses will be much higher. Is there any
0: age epidemiology for
1: neurocysticercosis? Yes. Children behave very different than adults. If you have a five years old with a cysticercus, so he probably infected in the last year or past two years. While if you or I get infected with cysticercosis and show up in a hospital, we may have been infected 10 years or 15 years before. And finding the infected table will be extremely difficult. And children, you you find the table in, in mostly in people living around the children. And that's one important difference because you have to look for it and try to avoid uh, further infections. The second thing is, for a reason we don't understand yet, Children most times present with a single degenerating cyst. A much more benign uh, presentation, and it's usually one small cyst which is dying, and the prognosis is very good. It may resolve even without antiparasitic drugs. Likelihood of calcification is 20 to 30%. Likelihood of tissue relapses is 20 to 30%. So it's pretty, pretty good. And the interesting part is that's what you see in children all in all the world. And it's very similar to what you see in travelers. And it's very similar to what you see in India. In India, most of the cysticercosis are children and teenagers with a single degenerating lesion. So it's very likely to be early exposure to the parasite with a non-immune host. So you have a non-immune host who is exposed to a small challenge of eggs and then overcomes it by natural immunity. If it happens to an adult which has been exposed to it a couple of times, you will not get infected unless you have a heavier load of eggs that will overcome your immunity and establish. And then adults will show up with five cysts, three cysts, superagnant cysticercosis, much more severe ways of cysticercosis that arise from heavier infections overcoming natural immunity.
0: So let me just clarify you said an adult could be. Infected 10 or 15 years before they show any symptoms.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: So there's really no way to track transmission.
1: In adults, no, it's very bad. You you will only find a taper in 5% of the, the patients. Let me give you a piece of information, which may be biased, but it's the only one we have. In the 30s, uh, India was a British colony. So British military were sent to India on duty for an exact year, and they came back to England and had seizures from cysticercosis. And the British army put together a research unit that tracked down 454 English military or their relatives coming from India with cysticercosis and seizures, most of them seizures. And what you will think at that time is that if you have a parasite coming into your brain, you will get seizures when the parasite gets into your brain. Well, they did a histogram of when they had the first seizure compared to the time they went back to England and not exposed anymore to the parasite. Surprise, surprise, 70% of them had seizures three to five years after being in, back in UK. So what causes the seizures and cysticercosis is not infection. It's something that happens years after. And then brilliantly, they say, it's the parasite dying? And then people say, okay, this parasite is dying. We don't have to worry about it. But the trick was you may have 10 parasites And you only need one parasite dying to get your seizures. (laughs) And then you will have, if you have nine parasites surviving in your brain and giving you trouble for the next 20 years. So, this experiment demonstrated that seizures occur years after and are probably triggered by one of the parasites, at least one of the parasites beginning to degenerate. And that is what traced most of the conflict when a Prasiquanter was available. Because people say no, 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 these parasites are dying. Why do you want to give them praziquantel if you may trigger more symptoms? And uh, that, that is part of the discussion.
0: There's two more questions. I'm hoping we can get through um, as well as anything else you want to add. One of them is about transmission, which probably could be an hour in and of itself. Talking about how um, you know interventions that have been attempted to reduce transmission. Um, Can you talk a little bit about where things stand now? Is that a a reasonable possibility, or is it just something that we're going to have to live with the fact that this is endemic and it's going to stay that way?
1: We believe it can be eradicated. There are drugs to kill the taper, which is the infective agent, and very, very safe drugs and simple. And there's a pig vaccine developed in Melbourne that works very well and there are new diagnostics. So a few years ago, we demonstrated in a large area in northern Peru that transmission can be interrupted. We applied a complex program for a year, and at the end of the year, there were no traces of transmission in most villages. And one year after, half of the villages where we intervened, they were still with no transmission, without further intervention. So we have proof of concept that we can inter- interrupt it and it may last, but now it requires to be taken systematically, adapted to local realities, made it cheaper, put it into programmatic approaches and taken by governments. But it's very likely that we could eliminate transmission, but then we will have to deal with calcified cystic causes for another 30 or 40 years.
0: Um, Is there anything you wanted to mention that we haven't discussed, um, bearing in mind that this is is being produced for an audience of epilepsy professionals, so they're interested in the epilepsy angle of things?
1: Yeah, considering that this will be mostly listened to in the U.S. and probably Europe, and I will bring up that awareness is key. So if you have a good grasp of endemic areas for cystic in the world, which include Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, parts of China, and India, and then you have a patient with those origins showing up with a late onset epilepsy or an intraclinal hypertension, you will be much prone to get into the right diagnostic track.
0: So last question, I guess, would be if you were speaking to a, a junior person, someone who's just starting out and is interested in cystic cercosis as it relates to seizures and epilepsy, are there areas of research that you think are particularly exciting and interesting? Like, Where would you suggest they start?
1: Well, why, don't you, why do you think I'm not retired yet? Of course, uh, cystic cercosis, we really think, may give important clues on epileptogenesis because this is a model in which you may, particularly now we have rat and pig models for neurocysticercosis that have been developed in the last decade. We can even kill the parasite with antiparasitic drugs, and we can look at epileptogenesis in the animal models, and we can also monitor human patients to see what's going on with their epilepsies, uh, of course, under appropriate standard of care. In the last decade, there is also a growing body of epilepsy that shows that hypocampal uh, sclerosis, it's also associated to cystic and not necessarily in the temporal lobe. So somehow cysticercosis infection may act as an initial precipitating injury and damage the hippocampus. Whether it is by antigens and chemical immunological reactions, or whether this is because we are having seizures in a focus that we are not detecting, uh, we don't really know it yet. But again, I I think. This is, will be a spectacular model to study epileptogenesis and brain inflammation.
0: Thanks for listening to Sharp Waves. Our content is meant for informational purposes only and not as medical or clinical advice. The International League Against Epilepsy is the world's preeminent association of health professionals and scientists working toward a world where no person's life is limited by epilepsy. Find more Sharp Waves episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at ILAE.org.